0: As we continue our journey of forty days and six Sundays of Lent that lead us to Easter, to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Uh, John chapter 2, 13 through 25. This is the fourth gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then also you note in your bulletins, there's a second text which we will read. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. So if you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's one. Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. These texts pair together in a reasonably clear way. But before we read the Gospel of John reading, I want to give maybe just a, a, a primer, a heads up. It'll start with a story that might be familiar to many of when Jesus clears the temple. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want you to pay attention because many of you have heard sermons, or if you haven't, you will, about what it means, the cleansing of the temple, about getting rid of some of the corruption and extortion that was happening there. But I want us to pay attention today, in light of Lent, on what happens after that in the Gospel of John. After Jesus clears everyone out of the temple, And makes a big ruckus. Pay attention to the follow up exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees and what's at stake for each of them and that exchange. And that will lead us very clearly into 1 Corinthians 1 18 through 25. So pay attention. Hear the story that might be familiar, but pay special attention to how it continues. And before we do so, let's pray. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, are eager for your hope. We are eager for signs of assurance, but most of all, Lord, we're eager for the signs that you have already given us, the sign of the cross, of the empty grave, of the bread and the cup and the waters of baptism, the candle that reminds us that you are our light, and that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Lord, help the signs that you have given us to strengthen our faith. And may the gift of your word, illumined by your Holy Spirit, strengthen and nourish our faith this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25 When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple, scattering the sheep and the cattle from the courts. He scattered the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables And to those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each man's heart. Before we go to 1 Corinthians 1, did you catch what the Pharisees were after? They didn't even necessarily protest what Jesus did, but they demanded a sign that he could show that he had the authority to do what he had done. Hear the word of the Lord also now from 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever gone to a sporting event? Just by chance, anyone here, by show of hands, ever gone to any sporting event? Okay, looks like, pretty ubiquitously, we've all gone to something or other. You ever gone to a, a sporting event of a team that you actually really care about? You know, maybe because it's a child or grandchild of yours that's playing, or maybe it's, uh, it's the college or university or professional team that you are a diehard fan of. Probably most of us attend those kinds of events. We don't usually go to games we don't want to go to. Now, in your time of watching a game or two, whether it be middle school volleyball or professional football, Have you ever seen an official make a call that you disagree with? Anyone? Looks like everyone who's gone to a game and is human has witnessed a call that they have disagreed with. Because the official, with all of their power, has made a decision about the game that we don't think was right. Whether it be we called somebody safe when we are sure that she got tagged out, or whether it was a travel, and you're certainly they did not travel at all, whether it was something from hockey that I don't understand, or whether it was a disputed call in football, whatever the case may be, we all witness calls that we don't agree with. And I'm not going to get into the debate of, is it good that we can do all these challenges and replays and look on the video how close they were and all of that, My point is just to get you in touch with how it feels when a sign is made on the court by the official that you think is wrong. When you disagree with it, because it's frustrating, isn't it? It makes us just a little bit angry, and we know, we just know in our mind and in our heart that we are right and the official is wrong. That when they made the call, they gave the wrong sign travel when it wasn't a travel safe when it's not a safe that's all i know i'm not an official of any sport i'm limited in that but think about how that just that just burns you a little bit doesn't it so it is with this desire for signs and certainty that jesus comes up against after clearing the temple courts that paul is talking about when he addresses that jews want the signs and greeks want wisdom that we have actually been given a sign. Jesus makes this very clear to the Pharisees, though they don't understand what he's talking about yet, but a sign has been given. The sign of the cross, the sign of the empty grave has been given to us. The bread and the cup, the light and the waters of baptism, these are all signs that have been given to us. But all of these down here are foundationally set upon the cross of Christ, the empty cross and the empty tomb that we will celebrate on Easter Sunday. The foundation of all of that is the cross. But to those who do not believe, it appears to be the wrong sign. The wrong sign, not the call that we were looking for. And in the same way that we just get annoyed or dismissive or know that we would have made a better call if we were the official, so it is that the foolishness of the cross appears. When we talk about the foolishness of the cross, it'd be like seeing a call out on the floor that you just knew was wrong. It's not the correct sign. It's not the sign we were looking for. It's not the one that we believe is true. The cross is a foolish sign, isn't it? Isn't it a sign of defeat? Isn't it the sign of a lawbreaker? How can a symbol of death be considered a symbol of life? The cross is not the sign that the wisdom of the world would direct us towards. Now Jesus does all kinds of signs, but they're not the foundational sign Healing maybe could get us on board, but the cross? The cross, as Paul put it, is foolishness. How can the good news and the good news of life come through the symbol of death? It doesn't make sense. It seems like God, as the official calling the game, got it wrong and gave us the wrong sign. Now, a little bit of sympathy for the Pharisees, if you will. The Jews are used to getting signs for all that they believe. There has been a sign after sign after sign after sign has been given. Moses was approached by God in the sign of the burning bush. One more little motif of light being repeated throughout Scripture. And then when the people were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, They were brought out first by the ten plagues where God demonstrated that God alone is Lord and God and that God demonstrated that he has dominion and power and sovereignty over all things on this earth, even over death. God demonstrates all of God's power through these signs And then as the people are led into the wilderness, they're given the signs of manna and quail, showing that God will provide for them. Water comes out of rocks. All other kinds of signs are given. And they help people believe for a short while. But how long did the people wander in the wilderness until they said, let's just go back to Egypt. We're going to die out here. Never mind the manna and quail and water and all that God had done in Egypt with the the ten plagues. Let's just go back to Egypt. Because the signs only bring us so far. Signs only work for so long before we need something new. We need a different sign or a better sign. And that invitation, the temptation of looking from one sign to the next, is that eventually we want God to come to us on our terms. We want God to come to us on our terms. To give us the sign that we want. To give us the sign that we know would help us believe. And at that point, we've ceased asking what signs God has already given us, like the cross. And we're asking God to meet us on our terms, not asking ourselves, how can we meet Christ on Christ's terms? All the signs throughout the Old Testament only helped people believe for a short while. Even Elijah, as we went through Elijah and Elisha this summer, even Elijah's showdown with the prophet's of Baal on Mount Carmel where fire descended from heaven and consumed everything. Even that sign only lasted for a little while and seemed to be just a blip on the radar as far as the nation's religious uh, gatherings went. Signs don't last long. Sign after sign is given and Paul knows this well and says Jews look for signs. After Jesus cleanses the temple courts, the first thing that they do is come up to Jesus and ask him for a sign to demonstrate his authority because they want him to prove himself. And they want him to prove himself on their terms. And Jesus instead offers them his terms, that his body will be given over to the cross, that he will die, and that he will rise again in three days. But it's still the wrong sign. Consider in your hearts in this Lenten journey the areas in our lives where we really want The sign, And this doesn't take away from the desire to pray with perseverance and with persistence. But it should be one layer of our heart, one lens with which we view our relationship with God that we wonder, am I looking to the signs that God has given me? The teaching ways that God has already provided? Or am I hinging my belief and trust in God on God coming to me and answering with my signs? Because the cross is a foolish sign. The Jews wanted different signs. The Greeks wanted a different certainty of wisdom. Because the Greeks were always looking for new ideas, new things to ponder. Which is good. Wisdom, true wisdom, comes from God and leads us back to God. But it's always something new, isn't it? The foundation of our faith cannot be built upon the signs that we want God to show up on. The foundation has to first and foremost be the cross. I can only say that so well, but one of our missionaries, Peter Ford, Peter and Patty Ford, who um, teach at the Near East School of Theology in Beirut, Lebanon, Peter talked about the First Corinthians text this way. A human wisdom that altogether ignores God is the way of the day and age. But not so for Christians, says Paul. The foundation of our calling and our conduct is the cross of Christ, a completely foolish idea for those who know nothing of the gospel. To them, the notion that anything positive could come from a shameful and repulsive Roman crucifixion was ludicrous. Yet God turned that foolishness on its head by accomplishing our salvation through the crucifixion of Jesus. Along with his subsequent resurrection, human foolishness became God's wisdom, and he made it work precisely on our behalf. In this passage, Paul mentions two groups for whom the cross of Jesus was considered foolish. Jews were offended because the cross was a scandal, reflecting the Greek word often translated as stumbling block. They expected God to deliver them from centuries of oppression through a Messiah who would demonstrate signs of power and glory. How could the crucified Christ possibly meet that criteria? And for Gentiles or Greeks, the cross was utter nonsense according to the traditional Greek philosophy, which became the basis of a proud civilization that had spread throughout the then known world. What Peter Ford Demonstrates for us, someone who has crossed more cultural barriers than most of us ever will, is this simple reminder that the foundation is one that makes sense to those who believe and yet is foolishness to those who don't. Interesting words for a missionary to ponder. And so, how do we point to this sign that we've already been given? How do we put our trust and hope in the cross first? That we come to Christ on Christ's terms. And not try to live a scattered life of faith, waiting for God to show up in the ways that we want God to show up. Because if that is the life of faith that we want to be sustained by, we will feel like a fan at a sporting event with terrible officials that keep giving us the wrong signs that don't inspire trust and hope. But what about if the cross of Christ is a sign that we can put our foundation in? Is there place for other signs along the way? Are there reasons that we celebrate answered prayers? Yes, absolutely. But this is a question of foundation and what we start with. And if it's our wisdom or if it's God's wisdom, which looks like foolishness to the world. The way the Apostle Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians, it's as if to say even the weakest measure of God Is infinitely stronger than the strongest human strength. There are places for signs. And I can be critical of signs too. And we do live in a world of critiques. For instance, one of uh, leading atheist Christian critiques from Christopher Hitchens talks about that the signs that Christians look for are just self fooling signs, that we're only using the signs that we know we can already use. That essentially anything that we point to is just an exercise in tricking ourselves. I would disagree with Hitchens, and I also remember that what Paul talks about is true for Hitchens that the cross of Christ appears to be foolishness. But I do think signs help us along the way. Answered prayers make a difference. And I'm cautious of giving Hitchens too easy of ammunition, for instance. I have some friends who went to a very charismatic school and there is a lot of prayer and this is good Um, but my friend Aaron tells the story that one day some friends had an apartment and they had to mow their lawn and they were getting bothered by the township because they hadn't mowed their lawn and so they really needed to cut the grass or they were going to get a fine. And their lawnmower wasn't working. And so five people gathered around the lawnmower and prayed, they prayed, for some way that the lawnmower would work. And then, as if by divine inspiration, someone checked to see if there was any gasoline in the push lawnmower. (laughs) And there wasn't! Divine intervention, common sense, come on. Don't make it so easy for Christopher Hitchens, right? And yet, couldn't there be something to, can we celebrate that we have the minds that we can figure out how to make internal combustion engines work? There are signs that I think are just silly and signs where we want everything to become a sign, that everything has to have some pointing sign to it. And when we do that, we're just looking to make meaning where maybe there isn't any meaning made to be made, meant to be made. That we have to come back first to the cross as the foundational sign and then let all the other signs be pointers, pointers back to the cross. There's another story that has happened to people that are sitting in this room This one I like and I think is a good signpost, different than praying for divine wisdom to check your lawnmower's gas tank. But back when Lana Dupree was in high school, so at least 10 years ago, (laughs) back when Lana was in high school, Dennis and Emily Brower were youth group sponsors, and Lana lost a contact lens. Out in the grass, in the tall grass, on a rainy day, and it was getting dark. Now, we have cheap throwaway contacts today. I don't think that was the case back then. And it was imperative that Lana find her contact lens. And so I think people prayed, and probably with some degree of hope on behalf of those like Lana and probably some degree of skepticism. You'll have to ask Dennis and Emily what they were thinking at the moment. But they prayed that they could find Lana's contact lens on a rainy day in the tall grass at dusk. And they found it. There's no way they should have been able to find it. This is not finding a gas tank. There is no way they should have been able to find it. And yet they did. Now, is that sign worth putting all of your hope and trust on? No. But is it a sign that points you back and a moment to say, thank you, God, for your provision? All of the other signs can help us along the way just as manna kept the people fed through the wilderness. But the foundational sign has to be the cross. Then each small sign along the way helps point us back to it, as long as we have the foundation in the right order. Jesus doesn't need to prove himself to the Pharisees, but the Pharisees do need Jesus to prove himself to them on their terms. My friends, beware of the temptation of signs and certainty of trying to feed your faith with the crumbs. Rather than with the feast. Don't look for the new ideas. Don't look for side signs. But look to the center one first. And do the hard work of the heart work, of finding the areas where we are waiting for God to show up on our terms. But let's point ourselves back in Lent to the cross of Christ, as foolish as it might seem, to the sign of the empty grave to the light of the world, to the bread and the cup, to the waters of baptism. All of the money exchanging that was happening in the temple courts, well, had to happen. Sacrifices had to be bought and paid for, and once again the extortion and the corruption, and Jesus clears out the temple at least for an afternoon to put an end to all of it. But it's also a preview that no temple No purchasing of doves and cattle and sheep and goats for blood sacrifices would be needed any longer. Because the sign, the foundation of faith and hope and salvation, would be displayed upon a cross, as foolish and uncertain as that sign might seem. Let's pray.